Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, he said, "Bear in mind, I'm a doctor." He said, uh, "On first glance, it looks like you've got the bones sticking out of your little toe." <laughs> <laughs> You're in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and all you can think about is, "Don't tell the doctors because they won't let me carry on." Running with Jake, the podcast, because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to the show. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. If you're looking for motivation of other forms, other varieties, I'm sure it's available. I'm sure it exists in the world of podcasts, but that's not this show. This is all about running. Yes, we do talk about some other stuff as well, but it is predominantly a running-based show. I feel I just need to put that out there. We get new listeners to the show each week. Sometimes you find us accidentally, and that's fine. We're okay with that. We're totally okay with that. Welcome to the show. We've got a cracking one lined up for you. Yeah, we do. And you do say there that it's about running motivation, and if you want any other kind of motivation, go elsewhere. I think this show also motivates people to be better than they are. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a positive thing. And I think it motivates people to be better than you and I, because they'll go, well, they're a couple of dickheads. I'm, I can be better than that. <laughs> It's not hard to be better than you and I. No, absolutely. So it's um, it's it's um, a motivating show from many, many different angles, and that's a good thing. Now, you mentioned this show is often about being better, and I get what you mean there. We want to inspire people to feel better about themselves, and we don't want to get too deep and heavy at the start of the show here, but if you think about it, Pete, mm. running is a vehicle to achieve other things. It's a vehicle to get yourself feeling better, and you know... It's classic. Runners do, unfortunately, from time to time, get injured, they get sidelined. And and once we kind of process that and deal with it, what's the first thing that we do? We think about what else we can do that can replace running, that can give us that same feeling. You know, we look for another vehicle to achieve that physical and mental wellness, to feel proud of ourselves for achieving certain things so i think that's what it's all about really and that's what this show encompasses i believe so welcome to the show it is indeed your weekly dose of running motivation i'm feeling particularly motivated at the moment it's a little bit like buses these races these events at the moment it is because i it is a little bit like buses because we've been waiting for what feels like forever for races to come back now they're here and we can't get enough of them i did a half marathon only a few weeks ago now, which was a fantastic half marathon, the Hullivington half. I still struggle to say that. And this weekend, I've got another one coming up. I had a notification this morning on the calendar. I totally forgot about it. It is indeed the South Downs Trail half marathon. This is a race with a bit of a difference. It's an off-road run. Yeah, now how how trail-y is that? I mean, you say it's a trail, but all trails are not equal are they i mean how traily is it is it like traily up the side of a mountain or is it traily like down a cycle path or something like that there is a big difference there is a big difference and i actually think that's a great point because yeah how how off-road as you say is it how traily is it i don't think it's kind of severe stuff here like technical terrain we tend to refer to those races as kind of like fell races where you're out in the mountains and it gets a you know a little bit crazy potentially a little bit dangerous a little bit unsafe but this from what i understand is just well-marked paths so you are a road you are on the trails you're not on the roads but what concerns me more is not so much the actual terrain underfoot man it looks hilly oh it looks seriously hilly seriously hilly in the south down so i'm 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 kind of prepared for it i think i think but remember with races we don't have to use them in the same way necessarily we don't actually have to race them we can treat them as events and we mentioned when i did the the recent half marathon i was unsure about how to uh 
kind of what to do in that race do i push it do i re- treat it as a race and go for it do i attach a time to it you know what are my aspirations and ambitions and i did in the end decide to push it and i was pleased with the outcome however this event of the weekend i'm a little bit unsure pete okay and i think at this stage i think it's monday as we record this the race is on saturday but i think i'm going to treat it as an event and not a race and i'll tell you why I'm a little bit, I get a bit cautious off-road. I love the off-road stuff, but I don't want to go over on my ankle again. I suffered an ankle break beginning of last year, so I've kind of got that in my mind. Training's going well at the moment. I don't want to have a, uh, a setback to my training for Manchester Marathon in October, so I'm kind of conscious of that. Plus, I'm away with a great friend of mine, Ian. We're, we're going away for a few nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back Monday, and we're just going to go and do it together not run it together necessarily but it's about the whole weekend so for me i'm not necessarily fussed about really going and smashing it i just want to kind of be there enjoy it i mean the race is is actually hosted by mike ratton a former guest of the of the show here and uh, winner of the 1983 london marathon so i want to say hello to mike there and just soak up the whole atmosphere so it's going to be more of a training run i think and you know if you're listening to this show now and you've got some races coming up definitely worth just taking a moment to think what you want from the event you don't necessarily have to race it and you know put everything on the line and really smash it you really don't you can do what you want to do you are in control in fact, one of my runners, Sam, I'm going to give him a shout-out, mm. was absolutely awesome at the weekend just gone. It's great working with Sam. Been working with him for a few months now, and he did the Northampton 10K. It was his first race in a long time. And we just wanted to manage the pressure, make sure he wasn't putting too much pressure on himself. He 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 identifies with this himself. He's aware of the fact that he can on occasions put too much pressure on himself and we didn't want that to happen because if you don't manage your expectations well you can risk of course disappointment we didn't want that so and i found him on occasions i just had to keep him unchecked there was one or two occasions where he was using language like i'll be happy if Mm. i achieve Mm. x i'll be happy if the race is sunny i'll be happy if i can park easily i'll be happy if (laughs) and so many of us can find ourselves saying things like this and of course if you do set those sometimes on realistic expectations i do think you're in danger of not getting the most out of the event and and beating yourself up which is not what it's about so just managing your mind managing your expectations and then controlling the things that you can control you know the weather how you're feeling on the day to a degree you can't control you know all that sort of stuff i just think it makes you it creates a healthier relationship with running you see i've always said and and i and i, I maintain that i'm not a running guy i've always said that uh, listen back to episode one you listen to every episode i'm not a running guy at some point i did start running but i just think if you lot if you running people took on board uh, the kind of attitude i've got then you give yourselves a much easier time in life and my attitude is whenever i go out the door in running shoes i think if i get back and i'm alive <laughs> That's a, that's a win. That's a win, you know? <laughs> so, Sam, if you're listening, calm down about the rain. Calm down about that stuff. If you go out for a run and you get back and you're alive, well done, mate. <laughs> that's the target. You should be my assistant coach. I've been thinking about taking on an assistant coach, Pete. I think you should apply, my friend. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. 
sometimes on the show we'll speak to experts in their field. It might be physiologists, it might be physiotherapists, it might be running coaches. We have professional athletes on and we also speak to real runners with real stories. And it's amazing the mix of people that we do have on the show. Always inspiring, always motivating and sometimes a little bonkers. And I think today is a good example of the bonkers and the brilliant and the inspiring and the motivating. Would you agree with that? I think that's true, Pete. Come on. That is true. I would, yeah. I must admit, I'd never heard of Fiona Oaks before. Um, I've, I've inadvertently seen her on a Netflix show and I didn't know that we were talking to her and then uh, you, you present to me this, this woman who's brilliant, actually brilliant, but it took me a little while to realise how brilliant she was because she is so off the wall. She really does just go for it, doesn't she? She's so passionate mm. about what she does and not just the running but her reasons, importantly, behind the running, why she runs, which we got into when we had that chat with her. And the Running for Good documentary, which was on Netflix, you can you can go and check that out it's so it's just so uplifting and it really kind of you get sucked into it and i find myself thinking right what can i sign up for now that's a little bit crazy what what i need to push myself that little bit more and i think she's got such a a fantastic backstory and she's such an interesting lady it was such a pleasure having her on the show she has this massive 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 passion and you know when i see people with massive 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 passions it makes me almost almost jealous that i'm so bland and i don't have one myself but she's so into her thing and her thing is her animal sanctuary and and she's um and it's veganism it's her animal sanctuary and she um raises money and she raises awareness for those causes through her running and she is absolutely brilliant she posts a lot of this stuff on her Instagram account, I see, which is Tower Hill Stables, which is the animal sanctuary, and it's a safe haven for over 600 animals, and she just... I don't know how she manages to spin the plates. Now, when we no run, we, we, no we, we know it takes up a lot of time. For all of us, it doesn't matter how much time you're spending running each week, but we're all so busy with life and stuff and responsibilities, and Fiona just takes it, this to the next level, and combined with not only her work with the animal sanctuary, but then the amount of training that she has to do to achieve the things that she wants to achieve. I mean, she's a a four times Guinness World Record holder. It's astounding. I think you're going to absolutely love the chat with Fiona, but I have to be honest, the call was so long. I mean, she she was so passionate, so brilliant and so bonkers that if we played the entire call, you would have no time left in your day to do anything else. You'd get nothing done other than listen to the podcast and we figured we we couldn't possibly do that to you so we want to play you some of the best bits from our conversation and when we caught up with fiona a few weeks ago i started off by asking her about her world records four times guinness world record holder fastest female to run a marathon on each continent which includes the north pole is that still the case all the records still stand yeah yeah I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not what I set out to do. I mean, you know, my running career has kind of developed organically. I didn't end up thinking, oh, I must go to the North Pole and run a marathon. I wouldn't have even thought there was a marathon at the North Pole. Um, but, yeah, um, I actually set out with the world records to just be the fastest in time elapsed to do it. But it actually developed that I kind of wanted to be the fastest runner in terms of running time, in terms of the races to do it as well as. So, yeah, I'm the fastest woman to run a marathon on um, all seven continents and the North Pole. Um, yeah, uh, in time elapsed and in actual running time. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty weird journey that I've been on with my running. But it, I kind of, the main thing about my running is I don't actually run it, run for the sake of running. I do it for another reason, which is probably actually in hindsight 
given me more drive and more motivation because a lot of people do say to me now after two decades of hitting it really hard how do you keep motivated and it's the cause the reason that I'm running motivates me more than just the running I think if it was just the running I would have given up a long time ago I mean I don't get out of bed at half past three every morning and go geez excellent I've got to go outside and I've got to do all these animals and then you know way hey I might you know I've got part, you know, a hundred mile a week to run. I don't do that. I, uh, I'm just like everyone else, <laughs> begrudgingly, you know. I think people listen to this show and people that watch your documentary, read your books, follow you on Instagram, I think they'll find it really quite heartwarming as well and and be able to relate to you so much because you are open and you are saying well do you know what i don't leap out of bed thinking right come on let's go you you have to think about the reasons why you are doing what you are doing and it's that organic kind of the way the journey unfolded for you you didn't set out to smash those records but actually guess what all of a sudden you you find you're pretty good at running and it can become a platform for you to give you a to give you a voice for the greater good and correct me if i'm wrong in saying this on that note, Fiona, tell me, for those people listening to the show that don't know your reason, we talk a lot, by the way, about why people run. Because, you know, why do you? Is it for fitness? Is it is it for, for various reasons? What's your main reason for running, Fiona? Why do you put yourself through this over the past couple of decades? Uh, to promote veganism, to promote something that I'm passionate about and believe in. But I want to do it in a positive and proactive way. So I went vegan when I was six years old. I don't come from some bohemian kind of background where the family and anything goes. I come from a, I'm always very keen to say to people, you know, I know there's a lot going on in the media and the press about, you know, a lack of opportunities for groups of people. I come from a very, very basic working class background. And um, I didn't know, that, I wasn't familiar with the word vegan when I went vegan. It was simply that I loved animals and I didn't want to harm them. That was the, the, the logic at six years old. None of my family were even vegetarian. So uh, that progressed through. I, I'd not had an easy path in terms of the, in my teenage years. I had a lot of surgeries in my life, which meant that uh, I was told at that time I would never be able to walk properly, let alone run, um, which was a big blow to me, actually, in hindsight, because obviously I was a very outdoor active kid. Um, then it was always my dream moving on from being vegan just making that decision on my plate not not to eat consume animals or animal products um it was my massive massive dream to have an animal sanctuary to actually be able to protect animals to care for them you know um i kind of ticked that box um tower hill stables 1996 we started Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary. But I suppose when I actually got really embroiled in caring and rescuing animals, I realised, hang on a minute, this is not the solution in terms of it's the solution for a very few animals that I can physically touch and care for and change the lives of. But it's not addressing the big issue, which is animal agriculture, uh, the exploitation surrounding that. So at the time, I thought, well, I am I'm not privileged in terms of, you know, loads of connections or there was no social media back in that time. You couldn't just put something out on Instagram or Facebook. You've got to have a platform from which to speak out, literally. And you've got to use the mainstream media. You've got to get them on your side. Um, I knew I was very sporty, did a lot of cycling when I couldn't do impact sports. So um, I, uh, the only female sport at the time that was really garnering any attention in the UK was marathon running because Paula Radcliffe was doing really well at that event. And it had got all the hashtags that kind of attached to it that I needed. It was the toughest endurance event in the athletics calendar. Mentally and physically, you'd be really got to be on top of your game to do it. And I started out and I thought, well, actually, 
if I could just compete in and complete a marathon, that's got to prove that as a vegan, it's not prohibitive to doing the most extreme of endurance events. So it's certainly not going to be prohibitive to people to just want to live kind of a normal day-to-day life. And that was the equation. That's how it started out. Fiona's been running for 20 years, competing in events all around the world and on very little budget. And she shouldn't really be running at all. After early surgery in life, left Fiona without a kneecap. She explains here how she's completely self-taught and self-trained. And I think that goes to show just how important having the right attitude is when you want to push beyond your limits. self-coach because um, I couldn't get anyone to coach me because even when I was starting to get better results, they were saying to me, well, actually, you're a vegan. And you, you, any input that we have is just going to be totally negated by this cookie-weird diet. Wow. And I, I must emphasise, that back in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, even back into 2013, 15, vegan wasn't the buzzword. It was a real veganophobia, especially in sport. No one wanted to know about vegan athletes. No one believed you could do it. Um, and that's why, actually, uh, we started Vegan Runners back in 2004. Um, it was after a couple of years I'd done some shorter distance races, you know, broke course records, local stuff and that sort of thing. And uh, I qualified for Elite Start in London Marathon, and I was running for the Vegetarian Cycling and Athletics Club with another guy, uh, Peter, Peter Simpson. And it was kind of all of a sudden, 2004, you're going to be standing next to Paul Radcliffe on the start line of the London Marathon, going off 45 minutes ahead of the men, the main field. You're going to have a captive audience, and they're going to see what's on your vest. And we don't want them to see vegetarian, we want them to see vegan. That was the free advertising for this word that no one could take away from you. And that's when we started Vegan Runners. And I think being part of that back in 2004, you know, I think 17 years ago, is probably one of my proudest moments with my running. I'm not particularly proud of anything I've done with my running uh, because I'm not proud of the reason that I've been out there doing it, if you see what I mean. I'm not proud of animal exploitation, so I'm not proud that that goes on. So it's just been a tool to to kind of address that. And also, uh, fortunate enough that when I started to get, you know, good times, race directors like Mark Mild at Berlin and Jas Hermans in Amsterdam would actually actively write and invite you, come to my marathon, run it, off the elite start fantastic because then I get the chance to literally I can't go around and have a conversation with everyone in the race 50,000 runners saying I'm a vegan and look but they see a vegan walking into the elite enclosure standing next to Haile Gabriel Selassie quick equation in the head that's a vegan and she's up on the elite start proof positive that, that's all it's ever been about even on a subconscious level I think as well Fiona isn't it sometimes for people you know just to make that connection. I mean, everybody's run a marathon. It's tough, whether you're running it in seven hours or two and a half hours or whatever. It's tough and you go to dark places. And, you know, it's been really, really amazing for me to be, like, in London or Berlin or Russia or wherever I am. And people, you know, they don't see your name necessarily. They see what's on your running vest. Come on, the vegan lady. And I've heard people in the crowd, yeah, she's vegan, look, she's vegan. That's why I have been doing this, not for a trophy or to win a Garmin or to just run a bit faster. To have those moments, not just for myself, but for other people, like a, a kind of subconscious subliminal recognition. But that vegan lady came 20th. Look, she beat all the men home in the London Marathon. That was what it's about. So I focused on two big marathons a year. 
and I've got personal best overall of two hours 38. And after a few years, I thought to myself, wow, I've probably done as much as I can uh, with my running now. Um, bear in mind, I don't buy like running magazines and have loads of input from coaches and I've no running club and I've, I just train alone. I do all my speed work on a treadmill because my knee is so bad. I can't run bends on the track. And it, the nearest running club to me, it's an hour's drive there, an hour's drive back. I haven't really got time. So um, then I decided to either pack up running or kind of come down it here, go around and win marathons, break course records, create ripples like that. Because um, back in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, there was no uptake on the vegan issue. Yeah, that people were kind of saying, you know, amazing firefighting lady runs across desert to raise money for her animals. And that. But it was like, you know, my, my mum would run out, Daily Mail, um, invite, um, they kind of voted me into one of the inspirational women of the year. Really embarrassing. Mum down the news agent, 50 copies of the Daily Mail, please. Oh, my Lord, what are we doing? You get your paper on, you're scanning through it, and you're looking. And you're... Well, you don't mention the fact I'm vegan. That's the whole reason I'm out there. And I had real problems getting this word out there. Then we spoke about the toughest foot race on earth, the Marathon de Saab, a 156-mile ultra over the endless and gruelling Sahara Desert. Fiona explains here why her first time out in 2012 was so hard. It was really hard to do that race back then, nearly a decade ago, as an ethical vegan because there weren't the endurance food products available, you know, the little baggy foods. I've, I've got a bag full of Marbaker bars. Um, um, everyone else had these really lightweight sleeping bags, you know, they're about that big. They're getting them out, puffing them up, saying, oh, my, we're down to minus 10. I've got this great big, like, synthetic weighed over a kilo, ex-army surplus, and it was, it was struggling to get you to 80 degrees and be warm, you know. What do you got there? I've got a 30-litre pack. It's bigger than me. Um, weighed a ton. Um, and the worst of it is, the week before I went out to the Marathon de Sable in 2012, I um, fractured two toes in an accident at the animal sanctuary. And I hadn't told people because... Um, I didn't want him kind of, oh, you shouldn't go, Fiona, you shouldn't go. My doctor knew, my family knew, and a few friends knew. And um, I thought, come on, it can't be that hard, can it? You've got 238 in a marathon, you know. And I've got me big shoes. They tell you to have shoes that are a size too big because these desert conditions are pretty tough. And when it gets to, like, over 50 degrees, unless you're used to running in that, uh, your feet are going to swell up. So I've got, like, shoes like Coco the Clown, like big flappy shoes, you know. And they're all stitched up with Velcro for me, um, for me gaiters to go on so you don't want sand in your shoes so I couldn't change my shoes but my foot had swollen because of the fractures so I'm cramming my foot into my shoes needless to say by the long stage which was about about 85 90k that year um I, I stopped in a tent uh, with two guys that I was with and I said to one guy Paul he's terribly terribly puffed man and I said Paul uh, uh, come look at my foot and tell me what you think this is on my on my foot because I can't see properly because my head torch is not very good. So he shined his torch at it and he said, well, he said, bear in mind, I'm no doctor. He said, uh, on first glance, it looks like you've got the bones sticking out of your little toe. And you know what? It's so, you're in the middle of the Sahara Desert. You've got, it's like Beelzebub's den you've entered. You know, there's loads of people just rocking and the wind's howling outside. It's pitch black. They're staring at these little cook stoves that planes are going out of and it's, it's just like awful and all you can think about is 
don't tell the doctors because they won't let me carry on. So um, we had to bind the crotch up with um, gaffer tape. That's all we got left because we haven't got enough equipment. I wouldn't show the doctors and hobble on. And um, you, it's really, really painful. But I got through it. And I didn't do too badly in the race. You know, fin- finished midway through, even though I got the um, this this problem. Got me medal at the end of it. And then it was like, you know, all the time. This is this is the same in every event I do. I'm just like everyone else. The whole time you're doing these events, whether it's a marathon or whatever it is, road or whatever, you're struggling. I'm never doing another race again. <laughs> what on earth made me think about doing it? I promise. Oh, Lord, please let me just get through this. I promise I'll never do one again. And then you get to the finish line, it's like, bang, want to do it again. And then Fiona decided to do the North Pole Marathon. I mean, we were horrible when I got out there. Everybody had got these flaming... Uh, Eated gloves and they'd all be training in blooming industrial freezers on on um, treadmills and like what what have you been preparing? I thought oh blimey, or I've just been going out when it's a bit cold or at night and you know I had done no special for it. I mean I literally was like Ooh, you know I've got these very basic look like children's mittens. They were ten pound buffalo mittens that just were very very straightforward, no fancy gadgets at all. And um, I went out there and um, I won the race and I podiumed with the men. And I thought, blimey, I, you know, I, I didn't do too badly there. And, and then a lot of the guys that were more into that side of running, I'm, I'm much more a road runner. I, I'm always a roadie, what, an, an old roadie. Um, they were saying, you know, why don't you do this world record? You know, the fastest woman to, to go. All you need to do, basically, is between now and when the Antarctic... Hang on, I'll write it yeah, down. Yeah, got it. All you need to do is go to every yeah. continent and run a marathon and then finish up at Antarctica, run your marathon there. It'll take you how many days and then you'll have a world record. And um, I thought... If only I was female. Yeah. It's a shame. You had me until it was female world record. I was going to go... Can't do it. Can't do well, it. Um, Shucks. Well, I, I came, I, I'm, I'm, bu- I'm bubbling with it then. I'm coming over. And then as you actually arrive home and you start back with the work and the, the rose tinted spectacles are quickly removed and you remember that you haven't got any money. And um, I kept nibbling away and I'm thinking, you know, I am not getting the um, kind of coverage. Not for me. I really don't care about anybody ever knowing who I am, but for the positivity of veganism. This was in 2013. When I came back from the North Pole Marathon, the phone rang, and it was like, the BBC, uh, will you come up to uh, Salford Keys, you know, uh, will you talk about the North Pole Marathon? You've broken a world record there. You're the fastest woman to ever run a marathon up there. It's amazing what you've done. So um, we went, we, we were getting ready to, and then the phone rang again when we'd arranged to go, and it was a researcher. And they do, like, um, ring you and sort of go through what's going to happen on the day, what they'd like you to wear, what kind of image you'd like you to convey. The, the researcher said, and, and just one other thing, uh, we don't want you to mention the fact that you're vegan. And it was like, uh, but that's basically why, why I run. So I figured if I go on there and I kind of, you know, get people interested enough, talk about the animals, talk about the firefighting, people might just look you up and find out that, hey, she's vegan. So that worked out pretty well, and Fiona got more attention. And this is how she ended up in a Netflix film. And I was the first person ever filmed for The Game Changers. It came out in 2013. And um, he was desperately trying to get funding for this film. And he did quite a lot of filming, um, and he went back to Hollywood and um, couldn't get any interest from anyone. And actually, I'm not a big 
kind of techno person, but the format in which he filmed me in 2013 had become out of date the time he actually got any funding to actually film what became the Game Changers because he came back in 2015. Many continents and many more records later, including a day trip to Australia from the UK to race in the Adelaide Marathon, but she was still having problems with the mainstream press talking about vegan stories in a positive light. Now, this was for a variety of reasons, including not wanting to upset advertisers, many of which were supermarkets. We pick up now where Fiona's talking about her love-hate relationship with ultras. I hate them before I go, and then when I get out there, I love them. And because um, it stretches you to your absolute maximum. But also, it is a very great level that you really remember what's important in life. You come home from them and you're looking at this miracle in the kitchen. You know, and everybody's chatting away and you're like looking at this sign, miracle that's occurring. And, and you know, what are you looking at? The tap. Water's coming out. And I can drink it. And do you know what? I can have as much as I like. That's the miracle. And you kind of really, you really, really kind of brings you back. You, 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 you hand over your mobile device or whatever you carry. For a week, you're actually taken back to that primeval state of survival. One step in front of another, get to base camp, sort yourself out, tiny little pack, nothing more in there than the absolute minimum that you need. And then you just hope that you're going to wake up the next day well enough to do it again. And um, it is hard. I mean, there's, you know, it's very, very tough to run in like 54 degree heat and sand dunes. But I always feel very embarrassed when I say it's tough because at any point you can put your hand up if you're kind of, if you wanted to. I mean, for me, failure is not an option. So I'm never going to do that. I'm going to die out there trying. But technically, you could put your hand up and say, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back to the five-star hotel that awaits me and weather that. But for many people who live in those conditions, there's no hotel waiting for me and weather that. That's their life. So much of what Fiona talks about really makes you stop and think. We then moved on to her next big event later in the year. Well, it's in October. It was actually arranged with a great friend of mine, a marathon disciple winner called uh, Mohammed Ansel. We wanted, he's always been very, very passionate about making a change. The sub-Saharan desert is really feeling the first brunt of climate change, water poverty, desertification, very, very acute issues. And so um, we suggested with another friend, Chris, that we'd have a little race this year. We're not sure about travel. It's not going to be open to competitors. Uh, it's going to be for Moroccan nationals only to start with. Some of the best Moroccan nationals are going to be running across the desert making you know awareness of like the issues that they face in that country they're not so different to the issues we're facing last night was the first real rain we've had where i live in just outside london in two months this is not exclusive nobody's immune to climate crisis nobody's immune to climate change and we're trying to give opportunity to local um, runners in morocco we just want to it's 365 kilometers to it's kind of graphically articulate that this is a 365-day-a-year issue. Um, it's going to be self-sufficient. And we just want to show people how much you can achieve on so little. So it's going to be very, very, you know, in some of these terrible, terrible, very, very brutal conditions, how much you can do and how little you actually need, because that's one of my big passions. It's not all the efforts we're making globally are going to be useless unless we start to use less. And that's what I do. I mean, recycling is great, but we need to also uh, run in tandem with actually using less and thinking more ethically about our choices on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what this race is going to try and 
articulate for people. I think this is super exciting, Fiona, and if, if you want to check that out and keep up to date with what Fiona's doing, as the director of Running for Good Ultra, that's runningforgoodultra.com, we will link that in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Fiona, we have one more question for you that we ask all of our guests. Uh, I know your motivation. That is as clear as day, and I love it. What I want to know is what does the word motivation mean to you? Um, I think motivation is just having a reason. Uh, it's that it's life for me. I mean, for me, I don't really think about myself as being highly motivated. I just think about myself being a very passionate person that's just desperate to make a difference. That's what kind of motivates me. Um, it's about the environment. Everything around me is motivation. Waking up in the morning is motivation. Seeing the animals is motivation. Seeing helping other people is motivation. It's about everything that is me is motivation to go out and just make a change. I, it's, I don't think about myself as being particularly motivated in anything I do. It's just Fiona is. It's every everything I do. Running with Jake, the podcast. Pete, you've got me thinking about this whole trail half marathon at the weekend and just how traily the terrain is. It's concerning me somewhat. I'm not sure I've done my my due diligence on this. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to check out the website, the profile terrain. Do, just do your do your begging bit. Get on it with uh, Patreon Pete. Go on. It's not a begging thing, dude. It's not a begging thing. It's not. It's just that... Do you know this whole Patreon thing? Um, someone said to me at the weekend, they said, so what, uh, what, what... How do you make money from the podcast? And I said, well, we don't really. We just kind of... You know, there's like the Patreon thing that we do, and then the guy I was speaking to said, well, 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 actually, people actually choose to pay you. I went, yeah, you know, it's like if you go to, um, if you're driving down a, a, a country road in Wales, and there's a, and I'm just saying Wales because this is this happened to me last time I was there, and there's like an honesty box where it says, you know, take a dozen eggs, it'll cost you two pounds, please leave the money in the box. What are you going to do? Are you going to take the eggs and just run, or are you going to take the eggs and, and then leave your your two pounds and he said well i'd leave the two pounds because i'm not a thief and you're going well there you go that's the point you know this was free the podcast is free to everybody absolutely um but if you want to pay for it that's also great as well and if you do take some kind of value from it um and you do want to pay towards the upkeep of it because any money that we do make i say any money that we make we spend more than we make on the show but any money that comes in goes directly out onto the show and that's what it's about so if you're taking value from it uh, and you've and you've got a few quid to spare then it would be lovely i mean like really really nice of you uh, to just give us a Buy us a coffee a month each, you know? That's that's all that's all I'm asking for. Uh, get yourself to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and just click on the Patreon logo there. Actually, it's fine. It's fine. It's on a network of bridal paths through the beautiful downland and forested countryside, which sounds lovely to me, so I'm, I'm all up for that. That's absolutely marvellous. Not sure what downland is, but it's going to be great. I can't believe how much you distance yourself from the begging. I can't believe that. Hey, I'm in the programming department, my friend. Not accounts. That's your bag. And now it's time to answer one of your running-related questions. It is indeed hashtag 
Ask Jake. Jenny wants to know how she can avoid feeling so breathless at the start of every run that she does. She tells me it takes her a good mile or two to settle in, for her heart rate to sort of settle down and for her breathing to become rhythmic. And she wants to know how she can effectively fast track that process. Jenny, it's a great question and it's not uncommon uh, for many of us to feel a little bit breathless at the start of our runs, especially if we've spent a long time perhaps in the car commuting and then we get out the car, we throw our trainers on, we get out the door or if we've spent a lot of time sat down at the desk for example so i think it's really important that we factor this in to our warm-up and it's it's very important to take things very very slowly at the start almost uncomfortably so and it can feel really awkward to run slow enough just to allow all your blood vessels your capillaries your arteries to open up and allow the blood to to pass more freely through those spaces and you'll find that your heart works more efficiently so i think the key takeaway here is make sure that you run or even jog rather super super slowly and in fact a four five six minute brisk walk just before you break into a jog can further help that situation and just allow things to open up for you to feel better so definitely give that a go jenny it does take a little bit of patience but i think you'll find it really helps you if you've got a question then it's hashtag ask jake or send us a quick email at podcast at runningwithjake.com that brings today's episode to a close. A big thank you to our guest, Fiona Oaks. If you have indeed enjoyed the show today, then please take a moment to rate and review using your podcast app. And if you are running or racing this weekend, just make sure you manage the pressure that you put on yourself, manage your expectations, and you will stand a far greater chance of enjoying the whole thing. Have a great week, and we will be back next week for another weekly dose of running motivation. Oh, and one more thing. When you get tired, think of those who cannot run and run for those who can't. Hold up. 